And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to The Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, August 25th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we will discuss the career of Steven Strasburg with the news that he will officially retire coming up here in early September. Got a lot of promotions to the big leagues and throughout the minor leagues, so we'll talk about a few of those moves. And we'll dig a quick look at the AL West, which has become very interesting in the last couple of weeks thanks to the Rangers slide, the Mariners playing really well, and the Astros being the Astros. But Keith, let's begin with Steven Strasburg. It's a it's a bummer. His career is, for me, the, the ultimate what could have happened with better health. We got to see a good bit of him for really a decade. He debuted back in 2010 was mostly healthy until 2019. That was the year the Nats won the World Series. He set a career-high in innings that year, got to 209 regular season innings, and has been so physically broken since. We've barely yeah. seen him over the last four years. And the stories about this, I read a story in the Washington Post that had some details about Strasburg being unable to do mundane tasks because of thoracic outlet syndrome and, and nerve damage he sustained while pitching, which is just horrible to see that for anybody at 35 years old because the trajectory he was on and the talent he had put him in that bucket of players that you could have talked about him the same way we talk about Scherzer and Verlander and some of the guys that have pitched so far into their careers is at the level they pitched at. He was capable, I think, of doing that if health had been better. Yes, yes, I agree with all of this. And, I, you know, I, I almost feel defensive of him in that, this guy had a great career, really, right? He's a 30-war pitcher. That's pretty great. Not a lot of guys in history have gotten to that level. He is, I'm pulling this up. He is, gosh, where does he rank? Is he not quite 10? He's certainly in the top 15. I'm looking at number one overall picks mm. in baseball history. He is Third among pitchers who went first overall in war. David Price, see, David Price is leading. Garrett Cole is going to pass him. And then Strasburg is third. 32 war, Price is at 40, Garrett Cole 38. This is, this is baseball reference. And honestly, I picked baseball reference here because it's easier to sort by draft, <laughs> uh, by draft position. So pick your poison. But yeah, that's a 32 war is actually a really great career. And the pick worked for the nationals um you know the only guy in that draft who you're like well they should have taken so yeah they should have taken mike trout everybody should have taken mike trout but nobody took mike trout until the angels took him at whatever 27th overall or something so yeah that's that was a win for the nats and strasburg did have a very good career and unfortunately it it all broke and i don't 
know, you know, there's a, the, the what if is, yeah, he could have been a 60 war pitcher, right? He could have had the Max Scherzer type career if he'd held up. You know, there's just still so much we don't quite know about keeping guys healthy, about what causes pitcher injuries, especially I think this thoracic outlet stuff, which seems to be creeping up, seems to be becoming more common. And if if anyone has ideas on what causes that, I I'm not I apologize, I'm not familiar with them. I think we have a little more of an idea of what's causing the rise in elbow injuries, you know, and, and in a word, it's velocity. And we know that the, a lot of the shoulder injuries, the shoulder injuries have gone down because we don't use pitchers. We don't overuse pitchers like we used to. But Strasburg was just kind of ever, like everything broke. And I don't know that there's anything to say that could have happened differently. Maybe he just was not built ultimately to be able to throw that, throw like that over a longer period of time. What did you say his career high in innings was? 200 odd? That's... I mean, I know by modern standards, that's kind of a lot. By by historical standards, it's certainly not. Um, 215 once and 209 once. And that's it. Yeah. And that was with the extra effort to handle him carefully, right? I mean, there was Always. from day one a, a ton of effort put into yep. trying to keep Steven Strasburg healthy, and it still didn't happen. I think when when I think about prospects that have come through during my time doing this, I mean, I started analyzing baseball in some form in the mid 2000s. He's easily the best pitching prospect that has come along in that time. I'm curious, you've done this a bit longer. Is he the best pitching prospect of the last 25, 30 years? It, it seems like it was hype that was ultimately delivered upon. His yeah. Strasburg's career at San Diego State was more impressive than what Paul Skeens did overall in college. Skeens' season here in 2023 stands up just fine against any college pitching season you look back at. But Strasburg really did it twice, and he was a closer the year before that. And the numbers were just ridiculous the entire time he was at San Diego State. By the way, I just want to add on. So that 2019 season, he threw 209. You were right. It was his career high. He threw 209 that season and then threw another 15, 22, 36 innings in the postseason. That's a big workload for anybody. Um, 240-odd. What is that? 245-ish? I'm cutting off some of the thirds of an inning here. So, yeah, that's a big workload. And that was basically it for him. And maybe at the end of the day, that was that was it. He, you know, that was sort of the last gasp. And maybe that is part of why he broke down. Doesn't won the World Series. So, you know, I don't know that anybody gives that back, right? I'm sure Strasburg's, you know, obviously if he's still in a lot of discomfort. That's not great. But, you know, I think a lot of players would say, yeah, I think, you know, if I have my career year and we win a World Series, that might be worth it, especially when in a case like Strasburg, where he he did get paid. So, you know, that was he did have that one everything year where he pitched great and had the workload and was great in the postseason, won the World Series MVP. And I mean, God, his postseason line that year was pretty tremendous. He was actually always a great pitcher in the postseason. Um, 146 ERA across 55 postseason innings. That's pretty good. Um was he the best pitching prospect since I've been doing this? One of my 17 years now on the pro- on the the writing side, I think so. I'd be hard pressed. I'm I'm hard pressed to come up with a better example. Like Cole, you know, when Cole was in the draft, I said, you know, this is a Strasburg type situation. He needs to be one one, and he did go one one, but he 
kind of wobbled a little bit as a prospect. And obviously his early years in the majors before he became Garrett Coy finally did become the pitcher. I thought he'd become the pirates thought he'd become, but it took time. And I think a little bit to a little bit of an extent took a change of scenery. If it's not Strasburg, I'm I'm struggling to think of who it is because also a lot of the other guys I have ranked as the top pitching prospect in their years or other people have ranked in the top pitching prospects in their years have not worked out. Like I think Forrest Whitley had a, had his year where he was that guy and I mean, he's been racked by injuries. It's almost a, it's not a curse because I don't believe in cur- curses are not real. <laughs> However, to become the top pitching prospect in the minors, often you need to be pitching a lot and probably throwing pretty hard and pitching effectively. And in those are probably just greater indicators or, or you know, factors in leading a guy maybe to break down at some point because you are pitching, you're pitching so well and throwing so hard that you're dominating that you pitch more or you, you pitch deeper into the season and you have to, um, and, and as a result, you pitch more in that code, you know, maybe that just increases the odds of injury. You're pitching deeper into games. Who knows? Or it's just bad luck. So all, all of the above, um, I think can, can lead to that, which is unfortunate, right? It's something we should all be the city industry and individual teams need to be looking at. It's almost like you don't want your guy to be the best pitching prospect in the minors. Right? Danny Espino with Cleveland had a moment. He was the best pitching prospect and he was certainly the best pitching prospect in baseball in April of 22. And he hasn't pitched since. Um, so yeah, it can be definitely is it, it can work against guys. Um, you know, I would say at least in Strasburg's case though, I, you know, I just kind of can't emphasize this enough. He had a great career. It's not the career he wanted. It's not the career probably fans wanted. It's maybe doesn't quite live up to the pre-draft hype where, you know, him versus Skeens too. He had two years, Strasburg had two plus years of hype. His freshman summer, summer after his freshman year at San Diego State, he pitched for Torrington in the New England Collegiate League and dominated Team USA. And then Team USA left Connecticut with him on the roster. So you know, and then from there, it was just from there. It was just two years of hype. We can't wait for this guy to get to the draft. And he goes first overall. And it, you know, maybe nobody lives up to that hype. But I, I hope that his legacy is hey, this guy had a really great career. And let's please remember him for that. Yeah, the World Series MVP when they got that World Series too. I mean, yes. that was the, the cherry on top right? of that season from the the team perspective. He also got the individual accolades, pitching well and, and earning that. I was looking back at the window from 2010 when Strasburg debuted through 2019, that World Series season, just to see how he stacked up to the rest of the pitchers in the league during that 10-year window. Of course, because mm-hmm. of lost time, he was top 10 in war over at Fangraphs. He was under 1,500 innings during that window. Everybody who finished ahead of him on that list had more innings. So yeah. you, you scale up the workload, he ends up probably top three, top four. Kershaw was number one in war during that span. Scherzer, Verlander, Sale, Granke were the top five. And then Price, Hamels, Strasburg rounded out the top eight. Every single guy you just named was a first rounder, wasn't he? I think so. And I think that's really interesting right? that when we when we do this exercise, it might not be you and I seven years from now for the current decade that we're in when we look at that leaderboard the draft when tungsten armodoil it'll be us in seven years it's my impression I mean, that's what we'll sound like years. i don't know if people are still going to listen it'll be directly into their brains right <laughs> we're just going to think something and people are going to know our thoughts and that's going to be terrible for them okay so i think when we look at this for the current decade i think we're going to see pictures from all different corners. We're not going to see as many first round pitchers 
on that list. This might be one of the last times where the bulk of the great pitchers came from that part of the draft. Are you saying because people, because teams are shying away more from pitchers up high, particularly high school pitchers, which I think we've really seen in the last five years? Yeah, because yeah. Priester's draft was, I think of the Priester draft year where he he was the first high school pitcher taken and he was 18th or 19th overall. So, And I did, you know, think high school pitchers, you know, I've made, for listeners who don't know, I've made this argument like in my second book and in other places, like high school pitchers in the first round fail at a much higher rate, fail to achieve, either get to the big leagues or have good enough careers in the big leagues to justify a first round pick. They do so more than other categories, even than college pitchers. And well, if I see this, everybody else sees this, right? I'm not, this isn't novel. Um, And so teams have been shying away over the last five years from taking high school pitchers, especially in the top half, right? The further down you get in the round, the opportunity cost is lower. So the player you're passing on to take that high school pitcher maybe isn't as good, doesn't have as much of a ceiling or as much probability. And we are seeing that. And outside of the 22 draft, which was weird for all kinds of other reasons, we really have seen a pretty strong industry shift away from taking those guys high. Teams take them later and pay them. They give them first round bonuses. That happened with uh, Thomas White from Massachusetts this year and Alex Clemmy from Rhode Island. Like a lot of very good high school pitching prospects did still get paid, but they just weren't taken in the first round. And I'm I'm inferring, tell me if that's not what you, where you were going, but I'm inferring that's kind of what you're talking about is that trend we've seen away from taking those guys, especially the high school guys, high. Yep, I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is we're seeing guys that are being drafted fourth, fifth, sixth round doing different things to sort of close the gap on the pitchers that are taken ahead of them. We're seeing better yes. things in player development that are enabling guys who were not at the top of the draft board to perform more like that. And I think that's that's kind of fun. It's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Well, all this, you know, pitch design, pitching labs, internal ones, you know, people have talked about the Yankees pitching lab. Obviously, the Dodgers have some sort of, you know, Hogwarts of of pitching. Um, and then outside groups like Driveline, where lots of pitchers are, are going there on their own and teams, some teams have worked directly with Driveline. A lot of pitchers just go there themselves and even established players often go to Driveline just to try to get an edge, right? Driveline's got a pretty long track record of helping guys um, not just throw harder, which I think was Driveline's first big thing, but working with them again on pitch design, on trying to come up with um, whether it's entirely new pitches or changes to pitches, to changes to existing pitches, just to make them more effective. And so you do see, I think you do, you are seeing, we are seeing, and will continue to see pitchers from later in the draft surprise, essentially, show up with different stuff especially spring training. It's one of the things I always find very interesting about spring training is, you know, it used to just be who's throwing harder, right? Somebody shows up and so-and-so is throwing harder, Tanner Bibby and Gordon Graceffo. That was last, that was in 22. This year, Cole Reagans, who I threw on my breakouts list for 2023 because multiple people came to me and said, Hey, Cole Reagans is bumping like 98, 97 or 98. All of a sudden I was like, God, I always kind of like that guy, the poor you know, double Tommy John guy, which is relevant today, certainly. Um, but he never threw super hard. He was always supposed to be this command guy and never had the great command, but his velocity crept up, crept up, crept up. And then this year just, whoosh, and now since the trade, he's actually been, he's been great. Um, which is awesome. I mean, I'm thrilled for him, especially given how much he's been through with his injuries, but we, you know, it's it's not even just velocity. It's the guy who shows up with a new pitch or a change to an existing pitch, which I was actually going somewhere with this, which is that 
if you're drafting too, you're, you know, I'm all in on taking those high school guys with later picks, but I think it also has changed the way some teams, not all teams, but some teams at least evaluate those younger pitchers, high school or college, where they're looking for kind of raw ingredients, a foundation on which we can build where, okay, this guy's shown He's shown arm strength. He's shown athleticism. He's shown a natural ability to spin the ball, um, but he needs help actually turning that into maybe an effective breaking pitch. Or the Cubs, who really took a big risk with Cade Horton um, last year in the draft, taking him in the top 10 based basically off of one good month um, where he changed his breaking ball and it became one of the best breaking balls in the entire draft class. But he had no effective third pitch. And then this year he shows up and the Cubs – worked with him to develop a, a, a viable changeup that has actually been pretty effective for him. And we'll see exactly how high the ceiling is. But right now, he looks like a great player development example. Not to take away from the scouting department who drafted him, obviously, but that there was a lot of work to do. And they got him in the system and they gave him, worked with him to develop a new third pitch that he really needed to be a, just to be a starter, never mind a good starter. Teams are doing that a lot more. And it's funny because I will actually say it makes my job a good bit harder in that guys do the unexpected more often. I think that's more true with pitchers than with hitters, but it also makes the job really fun and interesting. There's nothing more exciting to me than like, oh, I thought that guy was nothing. And now he's really good. And you just have to all right, throw out everything I said about him before, new report, new update. Like That's super fun and exciting. And not to mention for the players themselves, like how... Amazing. That must be an amazing feeling. I can do a thing I couldn't do last year. And now I am much more effective at my job and a better chance to get to the big leagues. Like I love that. Those are the stories we should, I think as a prospect guy, I just find endlessly fascinating and will probably keep me entertained in this job until I dropped out of the baseball field. I think as long as we keep finding new ways for players to become better yeah. than expected, that that will keep the player pool exciting. If it were easy to predict it, it actually wouldn't be fun. Like being right all the time would get very stale. So the, the element of surprise, I think, is what keeps us coming back year after year after year. Whether you, you analyze prospects, you play fantasy, whatever it is you do, whatever it is that you like about baseball, that's part of it. It's just seeing something you haven't seen before. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What did you know about Kerry Carpenter coming into the season? Just raw power. That's all I knew about him. He's got power. I'm not even sure I could have told you that. Honestly, I would have had to look it up. Like he wasn't on my Tigers top 20. He was a 19th round pick. I think I looked this up yesterday. I'm like, where did this guy come from? He's having a hell of a season. Yeah. <laughs> He's 20th home run. Amazing. Like I am now 
a Kerry Carpenter fan, right? This is fantastic. 19th round out of Virginia Tech, not out of an obscure school or anything. And he's got 20 homers in 84 games. He's slugging. He's got a 900 OPS. I don't love OPS, but still like 900 in a year when nobody's doing nine, right? How many guys have a 900 OPS in, in baseball this year? It's a like a single digit number. I think the last time I looked, it was like appallingly low. And, you know, suddenly the, this Tigers lineup is pretty fun, pretty fun and interesting. Torkelson's mashing. Riley Green's had a great breakout season. Veerling has tapered off, but he had he had about a six, seven week stretch where he was their best hitter. Um, and he continues to make at least hard contact and he's not getting results. And that's a little concerning, but still, okay, I just rattled off four pretty interesting position players there in Detroit. And there's some more coming. I think I get some pitching at some point, obviously, but hey, the Tigers are kind of fun and worth watching now some good stuff going on there. And like Carpenter is one of those where it's, yep. Carpenter's going to end up on a list for me at some point of guys. I, I can't even see, was I wrong about him or did I just, just not, I just didn't. That's great. It's hard to say. I mean, really late pick didn't do a ton in 2021. He played at double A as a 23 year old coming off the pandemic and nothing jumped off the page that year, right? For age level, it was just kind of, okay. looks like a guy. base. For a corner outfielder like you just like i don't want to scout the stat i don't scout the stat line but that's not a guy no you know you would you would look at that resume and say maybe an up and down guy if, if there's yeah. some something else in the profile that's good but it was it was a breakout in 2022 between double a AA and triple a and then because he was 24 when he started that year mm-hmm. that probably led people to be skeptical and the k rate went up the interesting mm-hmm. thing about his breakout this year compared to when he debuted last year he's got the k rate down to 22.9 percent he was at 28.3 oh, yeah. when he debuted. He's walking a little more. And he's hitting the ball harder. He's got a 45% mm-hmm. hard hit rate. So he's he's, sw- he's striking out less and making more hard contact. That is a great combination. Those are things that you'd love to see if you're trying to put something out there for the future. The floor is probably higher than many people thought for Kerry Carpenter. I agree. Look, I'm in. I'm just in on this one. Like, uh, yep, Carpenter never appeared on a prospect list for me. I'd actually be curious. I haven't asked any of my prospect brethren um, if they re- wrote him up. You know, he's probably on a pipeline top 30 or, you know, Eric over Fangraphs can run. He can do as many as 50 guys per system, which is more than I do. You know, if they had him somewhere down there just because the power had him qualifying, he's older. You know, he's also a pandemic guy in the sense you just you described exactly why, right? The The missing year made him old everywhere he played afterwards as a college draftee. Um, God, he hit 272 his one year at Virginia Tech. Guys who don't hit 300 in college don't have a great track record, right? But at this point, there's nothing I see in Kerry Carpenter to make me doubt him. Okay, maybe he's not a 40 homer guy going forward, but I think they got a regular for some time and maybe a little bit more and that's kind of awesome like a 19th round pick turns into a big league regular and maybe even more than that is pretty great like those are the super fun stories and 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 like you said also that he's shown so much improvement i'd say over the last two years right if you look at i saw him in 21 i saw that eerie club because that eerie club was loaded with prospects he didn't stand out at all right he was behind not just torkelson and green but um Kreidler and Dingler were in that lineup, but Carpenter was just another guy, 23-year-old having a kind of mediocre year in double A. So, you know, credit to him and to the Tigers player development folks. They have he has become 
a viable regular with a chance for more. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if next year we saw maybe the power backs off, but some of the other indicators like the walk rate continues to creep up because especially I think now, because he's shown himself to be a dangerous enough hitter that maybe pitchers pitch around him. And then he's got to make the adjustment. Don't expand the zone or try to force something. And maybe we see kind of, he settles in as maybe a 25 ish Homer guy, but with a better walk rate going forward that keeps that on base percentage up. Um, even if he's not, you know, he's been hit by a couple pitches to boost that this year. But I think, yeah, I think he's a, he's a, they got another regular in there. Like I said, I watch the Tigers almost every night if I flip games on because I want to see their guys hit. What do you think about Parker Meadows, by the way? Pretty nice resume these last two seasons between AA and AAA. He is up right now. There's there's power, there's speed. I mean, where yeah. do you like him in the outfield? And do you see him as a, a possible regular in that outfield mix? Yeah, I do. I actually thought he was kind of the breakout guy this year, maybe in the sense that he was going to come to the big leagues, right? Because he played enough last year that you thought, I thought, okay, maybe he, you know, he spends half a year in AAA, half a year in the big leagues, took him a little longer. I think he got off to a kind of a slow start in the minors this year, if I remember correctly, but there's power, speed, an improved approach. He's improved his swing too. If you anyone goes back to you know watch video of him from at least pre-pandemic i think this was really even true in 21 i mean he had a severe hitch in his swing and it really held him down like looking you know two years at west michigan okay well actually i take that back one year was low a which west michigan was reclassified to high a two straight years in the same ballpark the same place different levels 296 on base 290 on base the next year and without power um, even though he, we knew he had raw power, but he wasn't going to be able to get to it because of the swing and the Tigers worked and he worked a lot because I know this was a consistent story from them about trying to work that out of the swing. And it's a much better swing. It did, it's a better approach. And now the power speed combination is really starting to play. And I, I think that, again, I think there's more to come. I think there's more upside there probably more just in the batting average department. Like, again, I don't think he's a 30 homer guy. I guess it's possible. So at least within the the range of possible outcomes, but I think he's going to make more contact and hit for a higher average going forward because, um, because he's still on the younger side, um, both in age and, and in experience because he's so athletic. I would really bet on continued upside and that, Tigers got a lot of outfielders. Oh, by the way, I think Meadows, to me, I've never seen anything that said he couldn't play center. Um, that was one of the things you could always bank on with him. He's, he's, he looked like he'd be able to continue to play center field. It's just, ah, is he going to hit enough? Is he going to get on base enough? And yeah, he's they're in pretty good shape. I mean, they actually have extra outfielders where they're in a position where they could potentially trade someone this winter to go get some pitching and maybe be competitive next year, which I think was not really an expectation for most Tigers fans, I think, especially with all the injuries they had to the pitching staff, the thought was it's going to be a couple more years before we get there. They might not be that far away, um, especially maybe they spend a little in free agency, make a trade with some of this outfield corner bat surplus to try to get some pitching. Hopefully you get Casey Mize back healthy at some point. You know, you're always banking, you're always crossing your fingers on Scooble and Manning staying healthy, but I can easily paint a picture where this Tigers team is north of 85 wins next year with a tiny bit of luck and and some good moves this winter, which is kind of exciting for a team that bottomed out pretty hard recently. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the the system right now as far as other pitchers that are moving up. I know Wilmer Flores had a pretty good year last year. Ty Madden has done some interesting things. They, they might not be far away. I don't know how impactful they're going to be, if they're going to be mid or back rotation guys if it all works out. Jackson mm-hmm. Job up at high A right now. I think that was one of those picks that because it was a high school arm and it's such an early pick, yeah. I know you weren't excited about the use of a pick that way, but take away what the Tigers use draft pick wise to get Jackson Job. What's your assessment of where he's at right now? I mean, do you see him as a guy that might take a little longer, but reach that ceiling and eventually make that pick pay off in some form? Yeah. He, I, I bet you that's a pick that when he's 23, 24 ends up looking fine, right? There will always be the, who they passed on, right? Marcelo Mayer, who's one of the top prospects in baseball right now uh, for Boston was the guy picked right behind them. Supposedly the Tigers all spring were hoping to get Mayer and then were sure Mayer was going ahead of them. And so they turned and worked out something with Job. And then when Mayer was there, they took Job anyway. Um, But what I've heard, Job missed the first half of the season with it, not you know, a significant enough back injury. But since he's come back, my understanding is the stuff is as good as ever. He's throwing a ton of strikes. He's just got, he's absolutely dominated hitters now at okay at three levels, but it's particularly what he's doing at high A that is um most exciting, where he's punched out a third of hitters. He's only walked three out of 98 batters he's faced. Uh he's not a finished product at all. And they should not rush him. God, we're, t- we're going to end up talking about this. A lot of prospects moving very quickly through the minors right now. You take your time health-wise, command-wise. There's still a bit of a ways to go. You know, maybe he debuts late next season. I would probably bet more likely the season after that, especially as they try to you know make sure that the back injury is completely behind him. But there's above average or better upside here. I mean, I have talked to pro scouts who've seen him and say, that's the best stuff I've seen on a starter all season um, last year and this year. So it's there. Got to stay healthy. And I do think it's command much more than control at this point, but he is an elite athlete too, who I think will get there. It's going to take time. It's going to take experience. He's got 120 pro innings total since he was drafted. And so there is, um, you know, he's very inexperienced. He's lost, you know, I don't think it's set him back terribly, but he's lost enough time at least that he needs to, um, the Tigers need to slow play it. And we all just need to keep our expectations on timing on the conservative side and let him work some of the stuff out in the minors because I don't see, you know, he still hasn't reached double A. I think he probably, I would not be surprised if they bumped him up at some point, just make a start or two at the end of the season so they can start next year in double A. But like it wouldn't surprise me if he got to double A and struggled, gave up a bunch of home runs because hey, you just can't outstuff guys at that level. That's fine. I think he'll figure it out. Again, I, I was fairly bearish on Job out of that first year because you know I thought it was well, first of all, because of where he was, you know, his high school pitcher in the first round. We know the fail rate, failure rate is higher on those guys, and it was definitely more stuff than command or even control. But the way he's come back this year, stuff is as good as ever. Control's definitely taken a step forward. My understanding is everything looks great. Delivery looks great. Yeah, I'm in. And that's going to end up, may not work out in terms of the players they passed on, but it looks like they're going to get kind of what they paid for in the pick. Yeah. I'm curious, would you send him to the fall league based on the missed time and maybe having some innings left? I mean, they're letting him go five or six right now. So he could get Mm -hmm. to their, whatever their internal number is. He could get there before the end of the minor league season, but I think he might have 20 or 30 innings 
to go when the minor league season ends. So given his age, you wouldn't have any hesitation throwing him in the fall league. I'm just looking at the calendar, right? He probably makes three more starts, maybe four. Even if he made four more starts and went five innings a start, that's 62 innings on the year. He threw 77 last year. I don't think there's any formula or science, but you know what? That's enough for me to enough room to say, yeah, send him to fall league. You can send a guy to fall league and have him make two starts. It's mm-hmm. fun. You know, every teams do all kinds of creative things. Just have him go out there to make a couple starts to face some better hitters. You know, the competition in fall league is widely, it's pretty variable in terms of the caliber of hitters, but you will face a lot of guys who are real prospects, you know, significant prospects and or guys who've played in the upper minors who are just filling out fall league rosters. But, so they've seen better pitching and they'll see Job throwing 98 with spin at the top of the zone and then a really sharp breaking ball and just be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I've seen this before. You're not that special kid. Like that's, <laughs> I think that's great experience for pitchers, especially for a guy like Job, who I think has just dominated, not, not denigrating him, but he's dominated a lot with just pure stuff. So it, we, I mean, you know, this, you are too, we're, we're fall league guys. We are big advocates of the, the benefits of fall league. Also, I love going out there and seeing these guys. So I would not be sorry to see better players in the fall, especially better pitching. But to me, it is very much that, um, a very much a situation where he'd very clearly benefit from not just a little extra work just to build up some of his workload before he sits down for the winter, but facing some better hitters than what he's seen probably at, at any point so far this year, especially if they don't, if they choose to leave him at West Michigan for the rest of the year, um, which is fine. I would not argue with that at all. And then say, okay, and now we're going to have him go to ball league for a little bit, make two or three starts. Maybe you get him up to, you know, closer to 90 total innings for the calendar year. And then, um, and then he's hopefully set up to go, you know, whatever, 120 or so next year. Again, I don't think there's a clear science to this, but you, I do agree with the general philosophy. You want guys throwing more each calendar year as you build them up to a major league starters workload. Yeah. It, it just makes sense from the, instead of jumping someone from a hundred to 180 innings, if you can take a few incremental steps yeah. in between along the way, that seems safer by comparison. Now, how much safer? Hard to quantify, and maybe every pitcher is different. And how much Jackson Job threw before he was a pro might be a factor. And then all sorts of other things that you can't even know about a person that could determine mm-hmm. whether or not they're actually going to withstand those workload increases. And last thing on the Tigers, I think with Scott Harris being the president of baseball operations there, I think we all have this assumption on the outside looking in at organizations that you will do a lot of the things well that the organizations you previously worked at did well, right? And in the case of Scott Harris coming from the Giants, you think that, oh, okay, maybe Scott Harris is going to have some of the the Farhan Zaidi ability to find players on the wire, un- unheralded players or, or guys, mm-hmm. even Kerry Carpenter with some of the Tigers drafted, but it's digging in the corners like that and making the roster better on the margins. You sort of assume that that's a skill that maybe comes with, like maybe Scott Harris was part of that process or learned things from that process that will go to Detroit. But I think the big question will be in player development, will the Tigers take the prospects that they've been drafting year over year and get better results? Will they do better with guys that have been in the system for a couple of years and then obviously choose better players for the system? Because the player development with the Tigers, it seemed like it was for a while 
below average. You look back at old prospect lists, the players they got into the big leagues, some of the guys they traded got a lot better elsewhere too, which is kind yeah. of a sign that something may have been askew within the own, their own organization. Do you get the sense that there's already been some meaningful changes in Detroit on that front where you're, you're getting better results from guys that have already been there? Yes. I think you're seeing better decision-making kind of across the board and probably just a stronger philosophy. Um, and I mean that like in a very specific sense of what to me, a major job of the GM president of baseball ops, whatever you call the, the person who's at the top of the baseball ops hierarchy, every team, it's a little bit different, but one of the big jobs is you create your overall philosophy and you push that down through all departments, amateur scouting, pro scouting, for teams that still do that, international scouting, player development, and the major league roster, the major league coaching staff, where with a club like the Tigers, major player development is player development is continuing at the major league level. And from talking to folks who were with the Tigers over the last several years prior to Harris coming in, including people who'd left, uh, or people who covered the organization too, seems like there wasn't really a very coherent top-down philosophy and a lot of different voices. Uh, often giving conflicting opinions, conflicting advice, which also leads to a, you know, a club, a franchise not moving forward, unfortunately. So I think generally my level of confidence when the Tigers make a decision, my level of confidence that it will be a good decision, that it will, that the process is good. Process, good process doesn't always lead to good outcomes, but that's the way to bet. I feel better about that. I feel more confident in that when they're making some of these choices. And I think that they have done very well. Like I thought trading Gregory Soto for when they did and getting Matt Vierling, who hasn't quite lived up to my expectations, but has been worth more than Gregory Soto this year. And is, you know, he's a position player. So he's more reliable. He's got years of control with that was a, a small move that I thought was a good one. Picking up Justin Henry Malloy in a trade was a good one. They've done enough. I mean, I know that Eduardo Rodriguez was a whole soap opera. And to be honest, I don't really know all the details of actually how that went wrong, but some of the, most of their other moves, even the small ones have looked pretty good. And I think their drafts the last two years have looked better. I feel a little bit more confident that players who are getting developed in the system since Ryan Garko took over and they are running player development, a little more confident that they're going to make the progress that they should be making and that real deficiencies will be addressed. Not every player is going to work out, right? They're heading in the right direction. I feel a lot more optimistic uh, because even when Dave Dombrowski, who obviously is super successful across a 30 plus year career, even when he was running the show there though, player development was never a big focus, right? Dave was either they get to the big leagues fast and they help us win, or they do well enough right out of the shoot that I can trade. Them. That's fine. It worked, right? Put the Tigers in the playoffs in the world series a couple of times, not arguing with that, but eventually you're left with a major league club that's not good and a farm system that can't bring it back. You you can't rebuild with that kind of philosophy. And that's why it had to go to somebody else. And I think that now that the Scott Harris regime, you're seeing more of that. You're seeing the draft scout player development focus a lot more uh, with this new group. And you're starting to see some of these signs of success. Whether Kerry Carpenter was going to do that, I mean, who knows? He's such an out-of-nowhere guy. But I'm thinking more of the other players who've come through. Look at Riley Green. He was a top, top prospect. He was a, what, fifth overall pick? But it was not a straight line for him. And he needed, he came up uh, last year and he needed some work. He needed some help. And 
you're seeing the improvements. You're seeing improvements with Torkelson. There's a lot of good things happening there. And it's in a division that's a lot more within reach than, say, if they were in the AL East or the NL West. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. How much do you think the organizational philosophy regarding readiness for promotions, even between minor league levels, how much does that vary right now? Is it as scattered around the league as it's ever been it just you look at some of the names some of the guys that have been moving quickly right between two guys drafted a little while ago and dylan cruz and and paul Skeens drafted earlier this summer they're already up at double a like that's not totally unheard of ethan salas we've mm-hmm. talked about a few times this year already being at double a that's i mean the padres are as aggressive as, as any organization you look at those things you look at nolan shaniel getting the call from the Angels. Since the last time we spoke, a lot of bad stuff has happened to the Angels, but another prospect just flew through their system because they wanted someone who was major league ready or near major league ready, and they're taking their chance on that. But I feel like that's going to create opportunities because the teams that are too aggressive with players who are not ready are going to be in a position where development's going to get turned sideways in some of those cases, and someone Mm -hmm. else is going to swoop in, make a trade, make a waiver claim eventually, and acquire talent that was not developed correctly. And I say this as somebody who I think it's totally worthwhile to try and find ways to get guys into the big leagues faster. But you have to prepare them to be in the big leagues faster. You can't just ch- can't check off the box and say, 20 games, great numbers, next level. Like, I don't think oh, that's yeah. quite the right answer. There's There's got to be a little more to that decision. I think in most cases... There are, but let's just start with Shanuel. Like wh- the Angels did this with Zach Neto, and that timeline wasn't as fast as this one. This is kind of absurd. Like, do, do you think this makes sense? I know they went all in at the deadline; it hasn't worked. Everything's falling apart. Pets' heads are falling off. It's a disaster. 
in Anaheim right now. But is Nolan Shanuel actually ready for the big leagues? I kind of hope he is. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's he's had it. What I just pulled it up. Like that's a pretty good start, right? Actually, it's funny that he hasn't had an extra base hit. Yeah, because I think he's he's got some power, but he's twenty six big league PA. He's only punched out twice for a guy who was in college three months ago and right, who was drafted a month and a half ago is pretty impressive. Plenty of guys who, I know it's six games, obviously it's a minuscule sample, but still how many guys have we seen come up after pretty good resumes in the minors and you know, punch out 11 times in 19 plate appearances because big league pitching is really good. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the gap we talk about every week, right? The gap between the minors and majors is as big as ever. This is pretty impressive actually. Uh, He'll he'll have his ups and downs. There'll be some adjustment period, but I'm watching, right? I'm very, very interested. And because the one thing on Chanuel, he had as impressive a resume in terms of his performance in college as anybody. I mean, I wrote at the time, if anybody had could argue that they're having a better year than Dylan Cruz, it was Chanuel. Cruz did it in the SEC. And Chanuel played for Florida Atlantic. It's nowhere near the same level of competition. So the fact that Chanuel got, got into the minors, Played what three weeks there? Continue to hit. He's in. He's been in the majors for a week. He's continuing to make a lot of contact. It's pretty interesting. And will it change other teams' philosophies on taking very polished college players and moving them quickly through the minors? It might. But I can also give you lots of counterexamples from recent years. So you know, I'd be much more curious. What is is there something about Chanuel that distinguishes him from like Gavin Cross, for example, who had an pretty very strong very very strong resume coming out of virginia tech in the acc and at 22 in high a this year has a two is hitting 206 300 383 with too many strikeouts but it's not excessive but it's just not great contact quality he's just falling apart he's nowhere near and we were all wrong i think everybody royals took him would they take him ninth overall yes and i think pretty much everybody on the prospect side we all rank this guy pretty pretty highly in the draft class. He may just not be very good. And there, there are lots of possible explanations for that, but whatever it is, he's, he's a perfect counterexample, right? If the Royals had said, we're going to move this guy right to the majors as quick as possible, especially he had a great debut last year, last summer after he was drafted in low A, if they had pushed him, right? How much of a disaster would that have been? I, I don't, it, 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 I don't know what separates the Shaniels from the crosses when both guys had all of the ingredients you were looking for. They're not the same player, obviously. Shaniel struck out even less. Cross is a better athlete. Cross had a chance to play in the middle of the field. Shaniel doesn't have defensive value. They're not the same, but still, two pretty highly regarded across the board college position players with performance get into the minors and go completely in opposite directions. It will... If some team looks at the example of Shaniel and says, we're going to push our guys, our college guys, super quick. Good luck. I hope you know more about this than I think any of us on the outside do. So I wish I knew exactly what the Angels thought process was in this case and with Neto. I think one of the yeah. interesting things that stands out to me when I look at the the numbers from Cross played in the ACC at mm -hmm. Virginia Tech versus Shanuel played in Conference USA with Florida Atlantic. If you were trying to generate projections based off of college performances, Shanuel's ridiculous. It would it would break your model more likely yes. than not. It's right? why so you it, can't. Yeah. It would spit out something that's much more aggressive 
than what Cross had because I mean the strikeout rate, a four point eight percent strikeout rate for a, a guy that hit for some power, for a power hitter, a call, you know the 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 guy you ex- right the guy you expect to strike out more because he's just swinging hard all the time. Um, you know, it's the Matt Weeders problem when Weeders and Vlad Jr. for that matter when those guys were even just in Double A and projection systems tried to generate major league projections off of their minor league performance. Most projection systems are based, they're built, they're taught off major league data. You have to translate or do equivalencies for minor league data. But when you get extreme outliers, like those two guys I just mentioned, it kind of breaks the system, right? Vlad Jr., I think, I don't remember which projection system, so I want to say, but at least one had him as a top five hitter in baseball projected going into his rookie season before he'd even debuted in the majors. That has not worked out. Weeders never had the career he was expected to have by folks on the analytics side or in the scouting side. So those extreme outlier players, when you get performances like Shaniels, right? The the model can't, no model is going to be able to adequately take in that kind of uh, their extreme outliers because there's a, there are just not enough historical data for comparison's sake. And so I think that you know, to me, that those are good examples of this is why you still have scouts or why you should still have scouts. You want someone else to be able to go to the ballpark and say, here's what we're actually seeing. And maybe it backs it up and says, no, I think this guy can absolutely rake, right? I don't know anybody who saw Dylan Cruz this year and thought, hey, he's not that good. Or debates on exactly how good, right? But then nobody, nobody came back and said, this guy's, yeah, he's overrated. You could very realistically... I think convince yourself, okay, this guy doesn't strike out ever. He walks a ton. He has exceptional yep. strike zone judgment. The yep. bat speed is not a problem. Let's bring him to the big leagues, hit him in the bottom third of the order. The other component, yep. I think, in both cases, does he handle his position well defensively? Neto could do it at shortstop. So I think that was part yes, of it. You too. That. Like, we need a guy that can be a good defensive shortstop. So he fills that need. He'll finish his development against top-level pitching. I, I don't think it's a galaxy brain argument. Like Here I am defending decisions made by the Angels. I don't like being in this position, but I can sort of talk myself into how you would get there, right? And in this case, are you going to mess up Nolan Chanuel's development if you give him 35 games at the end of this season and he struggles? Probably not. You can send him back down to double-A AA or triple-A to begin he, next year. Absolutely. And he's yes. up next summer and probably up for good once that happens, right? So I think it comes back to exceptional plate skills in both cases. But where they played in college makes that a little more complicated, I think, trying to analyze that. Yeah, that's the thing to me is that if Nolan Chaniel did absolutely everything you could have asked him to do given the competition that he faced. And so I think that he... What do you, what's your criticism of him, right? What could you possibly come back to him with and say, what, what's the criticism of the performance, right? You, I do think there is a real benefit. We have some better pitch data now at the college level, thanks to so many schools installing TrackMan systems um, and third parties just tracking, even just tracking off of like television or, you know, streamed um, streamed games where they can at least say, you know, I have access to a fair bit of this data. Oh, he's doing such and such on fastball, such and such on sliders, et cetera. But what you don't know is what is that player going to do against a caliber of pitching he just didn't face, right? And that's and that's true for everybody. Even Dylan Cruz wasn't facing major league pitching in the SEC. Even if you just pull out his Friday nights, right? That's the best pitching that he was able to see 
it's still not comparable to what he will see on a nightly basis in the big leagues. It may not even be completely comparable to what he'll see on a nightly basis in double A. I've argued I think the SEC is as good as high A. Um, it's certainly better than low A if you consider the bet the SEC weekends versus what a player would see nightly in the in low A. But in a case like Shanuel, your scouts hopefully come back with a little more information, insight on the subjective side, saying, okay, here's what he does hit, what he doesn't hit, here's where there might be a deficiency, or here's what we just didn't see, right? Here's what I think this is what scouts do. We're projecting, okay, I think I saw a little hints that, okay, maybe this pitch type, this location, et cetera, might give him trouble so that you're at least aware of what the weaknesses might be, but ultimately you, you, you just don't know until he's doing it every night, until he's facing it on a nightly basis. Couple other big league promotions to get to. We talked about Mason Wynn a few weeks ago. He's up. I don't mm-hmm. think we have a lot to say about Wynn right now, but I was surprised to see Noel V. Marte get jammed onto that Reds roster last weekend. And it, in a way, at first I was like, well, why? And then I thought, well, why not? Because you don't have to play yeah. someone every day. We talked about the thresholds for playing time. So they're still going to have a rookie of the year eligible player on their hands next year. And you give them. Some right. spots to show what he can do. Now Votto just went on the IL, so there's one fewer infielder in the rotation, so you shuffle guys around, and that opens up a bit more playing time anyway. So that one I've sort of warmed up to. Kyle Harrison getting promoted by the Giants I thought was even more surprising because he's had some pretty significant control issues at AAA this season. So uh, what's changed, if anything, for you with Harrison here in 2023? Yeah, I was shocked right he was out with a hamstring injury that turned out to be less serious than originally reported um so that's fine so physically it seemed like he was ready but he was not good in triple a like at all stuff was good stuff was still very very good i should say but yeah this is a guy who was he was good example he was kind of out stuffing guys last year in double a now the stuff was is elite you are not going to see much better stuff from a left-hander anywhere in in professional baseball, right? Certainly anywhere in the minors or counting Harrison as a minor leaguer. So there is, you know, on that basis, could this guy come to the big leagues and miss a bunch of bats because the stuff is so good and it's a delivery that I think is just really hard for hitters to pick up? Sure, right? He punched out five out of 16 guys he faced against a pretty good Phillies lineup, a little bit left-handed, sure, but that's good. You know, to me, that's a, that's a win for a first start. Um, I was very, very surprised to see him come up, though, given how much trouble he has had just straight up with strikes. And he's kind of, you know, he's also been homer prone. I understand the Pacific Coast League is just hellish for pitchers, certainly. And like he gave up, you know, he went to Reno, which is a horrendous place to pitch and gave up a couple of homers. But also, yeah, he got knocked around in some not hitters parks, too. And it, it seemed to me like there's probably more work to be done. Now, if you are the Giants, you can want to argue he can do that work in the big leagues too. We're fine with him coming up, even if he struggles, because he'll work with Kapler and the major league coaching staff. And there are things we think he needs to work on that it, it's it's not much of a difference to us, whether he's working on that stuff in AAA or working on that stuff in the big leagues. If they don't care that it's possible every fifth night they'll need, they'll have like a long bullpen game, right? That was what happened. He faced 16 batters and they took him out. And so they had to get, uh, what, 19 more outs out of the bullpen that particular night. So I could see, I can see it both ways. I think I do lean towards letting a guy like that, where it's command and control, maybe let him work that out in the minors for a little bit longer. But 
you know, if they're comfortable, if they're saying, look, we, we, we need him and we're also willing to live with those ups and downs in the big leagues. And even if it means we have some short outings every fifth day, if they feel like they have got the bulk guys in the bullpen, maybe to carry that. Okay. Sure. It, not personally what I would have done, but I can pretty, I can make my own counter argument. Yeah. It's not malpractice. It's more of just, I, no. I thought they wanted them to work longer stretches, but they are a team that's been very flexible with the usage of back end starters. Look at what they've yeah. done with Sean Mania and Alex Wood. So doing that with a young guy to break him into the big leagues. If you think Kyle Harrison's got better stuff than the worst guy in your bullpen, I'm sure he does in just about every situation. Then you go ahead and give him that opportunity. And maybe the development takes a better step forward in the final month working with the big league coaching staff. That's certainly a possibility as well. Uh, one last question for you before we go. The AL West has become very interesting in the last few weeks. So I'm just curious, who wins the division? Rangers, Mariners, Astros. And do all three teams actually find their way into the postseason? Is it possible that we see three AL West teams and just two AL East teams actually getting into the postseason this year? I am going to say the Astros win the division and two teams make the postseason because I think as the right, the Orioles and Rays are so clearly into the postseason, especially the Orioles, like one or both of those teams may be able to ease up on the throttle as the season progresses. And does that end up helping, um, you know, say helping the Blue Jays, for example, I'm actually just pulling up the Blue Jays schedule to make sure I'm not talking completely out of the air. Who just had an easy politely. schedule? 484 strength of schedule the rest of the way. The rest of the way. And mm-hmm. they have, they finish with, they have six games with the Rays in the last two weeks of the season. Uh, they're finishing with the Orioles. They are finished with the Orioles, actually. So I take that back slightly, but they do have A's, Royals, Rockies. Okay, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they have six games with the Yankees towards the end of the season. That may not be that tough. Okay. Right. Like, I, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. I talked about this on the Toronto radio station back on Monday. The Blue Jays team is pretty good. Now that was not the series. I think they wanted to have against certainly the last two games against the Orioles also showed some deficiencies, but I'm, I'm willing to bet on the Blue Jays with the weakness of schedule with games against a raised team that might just be in putting it in neutral by that point. Cause they're just trying to get healthy for the postseason or stay healthy for the postseason. Whereas I think those AL West teams might just be beating the heck out of each other the rest of the way. Um, and not saying that's a bad thing. The AL West is super competitive. Those are three really good teams. It's a shame one of them might end up missing the playoffs. Someone's got to. And if you're saying, do I think the Blue Jays make the playoffs at the expense of one of those three NL West teams? I'm willing to say, I think the Blue Jays get in because one of those NL West teams doesn't hold up. I don't know which one. You know, I've all season, I've looked at that Rangers team and thought, Hey, this is great. They're a great story. They're clearly a better team than I thought. Always that little bit of skepticism when a team you came into the season, you're like, they're not a playoff team. And then they start playing like a playoff team. Hey, sometimes I'm wrong. The Mets in 15, right? Didn't think they were a playoff team. They kind of had just a really, really great start too. When then sort of, I wouldn't say coasted, didn't play great through the middle of the season, but played well enough to end up in the postseason, ran all the way to the World Series. Could the Rangers do that? Sure. I, I'm I'm saying I'm probably most skeptical of the Rangers, but also acknowledging that just might be my own 
bias, like a little bit of a confirmation bias because now they're not playing so well. I thought so. I thought all along they weren't really that good. That's not fair. It's not. I think when you stack them up, especially with the Mariners, that's a great just toss-up sort of matchup every time those two teams play. They, they stack up really well. You, you prefer the Rangers lineup, I think, in most cases, but you give the edge for both starting pitching and relief pitching to Seattle. And I just think that's what makes yeah, those two teams so fair. compelling. I think I'm, I'm on your side of this, though, where I think the Astros end up taking the division. They're mm-hmm. obviously going to have to work a lot harder for it than they have in, in years yeah. past. But Good. I, 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 like, I like what they've been able to do. Bringing Verlander back was huge for them. They needed that. They needed yeah. one more boost in the rotation. They got it. Yep. Um, maybe some weakness in the back end. JP France had a horrible outing this week. So uh, regression got him a little bit. Just, just a tad, but I, I think this is a team that's actually healthy at the right time too. You know, Jordan, yes. Tucker, Bregman, Altuve, all those guys are healthy in late August. That's a really good thing for Houston. So slight edge to them. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the Jays get in too. So I guess one of the Rangers or Mariners has to miss. I think the Rangers get bounced. I think you got to play your best ball at the end of the season when it's close like yeah. this. And they're struggling right now. So maybe it's just recency bias coming at me but i'm excited to watch it play out it's nice to see a few mm-hmm. new teams in the mix and this to me is the best thing about the expanded playoffs you just have a few a few other paths in that ordinarily wouldn't be there so i'm i'm here for it i know it's not traditional it bothers a lot of people but <laughs> i'll take it and i also think here's the other part of this i like the rangers spending a lot of money in free agency i feel like the teams that spend in free agency now get dunked on so much when it doesn't work out that when you go out and spend a lot of money, I would kind of want to see that get rewarded now. Absolutely. You want to encourage other teams to do it. I want yeah. the, Hey, you know what? I would love to see the Tigers go out in free agency this winter and, and go out and, you know, sign a pitcher and maybe one more bat for the, you know, there's definitely some weakness in the infield right now. And, you know, maybe swing a trade with some of this corner bat surplus we were talking about. And suddenly, Hey, Tigers might win 88 games next year. And that probably wins the central or could win the central. I'd love to see that. Trying is a good thing. We like teams that try. Yes, we like to try. Yeah, yeah, we like teams that try. We are going to go. It's time to enjoy the, the weekend on our way out the door. $2 a month gets you in to The Athletic for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 